Let's turn together to Hebrews chapter 11. Last Sunday in the final verses of chapter 10, we considered the task of endurance that we as Christians are called to in this life. We are not of those who shrink back, the writer of Hebrews declared in verse 39. We are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed. Instead, we are of those who have faith, those who preserve their souls until the return of Christ. True believers and followers of Christ are not among those who forfeit their salvation by returning to patterns of deliberate, remorseless sin. And true recipients of the new covenant are not those, are not of those who profane the blood of Christ by returning to the old covenant with all its regulations and rituals that have been brought to completion by Jesus himself. We are not of those who shrink back in either of those ways because we are among those who possess genuine faith. Now, it's this concept of faith, it's what brings us to Hebrews chapter 11, where the writer of this letter spends the whole chapter showcasing what faith is and what faith looks like. Uh, This chapter, which is often referred to as the Hall of Faith, is one of the most well-known chapters in the New Testament. In it... The writer of Hebrews, Hebrews, he showcases 16 men and women from the Old Testament who walked by faith in God. And there are many things that we'll see and learn in this chapter of Scripture, but one of the things I hope we see is that faith in God, it really isn't all that complicated. Faith is costly at times, yes, But it isn't complicated. And by it, by faith, ordinary people, such as those who are showcased in this chapter, and ordinary people, such as you and me, by faith, ordinary people come to receive all the extraordinary promises of God in Christ. All just by faith. It's all by faith. In fact, the words by faith or in faith or through faith They're used nearly 30 times in this chapter. It's kind of the whole point that the the writer is trying to make. This morning, we'll consider verses 1 through 16. And Lord willing, next Sunday, we'll consider verses 17 through 31. And then we plan to take two weeks break from the book of Hebrews, which means then on Sunday, July 16th, Lord willing, we'll finish this chapter by examining chapter 11, verses 32 through 40. So there's a, a bit of a, of a, of a plan, of a, of a calendar in front of you. Without further ado, I'd invite you to follow along as I read Hebrews 11, verses 1 through 16. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God 
so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful, who had promised. Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, were born descendants, as many as the stars of heaven, and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them, and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. For he has prepared for them a city. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, this, this moment right now, this, this act of quieting our hearts and minds and drawing near to you, it is a demonstration of our faith in you. We've just read in your word that whoever would draw near to you must believe that you exist and that you reward those who seek you. And so, gracious God, this morning we seek for your glory the reward of deeper understanding. Give us that. Give us understanding and conviction in this passage and give us strength and conformity to the likeness of your son, Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Well, there's a lot going on in this passage, and it could easily be uh, an entire sermon series in and of itself. 
But for the remainder of our time, we'll follow a, a two-point structure, a two-point outline. We're simply going to look at what faith is, according to this passage, what faith is and what faith looks like. It's what we see in this passage. It's what we're told in this passage. And so number one, what faith is. Verse one, faith is the assurance of things hoped for. The conviction of things not seen. Now, there are many other ways that we might define faith, but the writer of Hebrews defines it in this particular way in order to challenge the Jewish Christians he's writing to. Let me explain what I mean by that. These Jewish Christians, who were the first to receive this letter, they were at risk of repeating the same mistake as their ancient ancestors who died in the wilderness and who did not enter the promised land. Their ancestors had believed in God's existence. I mean, they had watched God part the Red Sea. They had watched God bring manna down from the heavens. They believed in God's existence, but they never put their trust in him. They never relied upon God's saving ability. Let me illustrate this. It's one thing to believe that a chair exists, right? It's one thing to believe that it exists and that it even will theoretically support someone. But it's a whole other thing to actually rely on that chair by entrusting yourself to it and taking a seat. There's a critical difference. And these Jewish Christians, whom the author of Hebrews is writing to, like their ancient ancestors and like so many people in the world today, they believed that God exists but they were not trusting and relying upon God's preserving power, especially in the midst of the, cha the challenges they were facing. Let's remember context here. These Jewish Christians, they likely lived around 66 AD in the city of Rome. And at that time and in Rome, Christians were being intensely persecuted. And so what these Jewish Christians were seeing on their physical horizon was no doubt frightening, and troubling, confusing, disheartening, hope sinking. But church, faith does not hang on what is seen. And this is an important word for you and me. As opposition toward Christianity begins to escalate in our country here in America, faith does not hang its hat upon what is seen. Faith hangs its hat upon what we don't see. And what we don't see, or whom we don't see, is a loving and powerful and sovereign God who is always working behind the scenes in and through all things for the utmost glory of his name and the utmost good of his people. Verse one, faith is the assurance of this. 
It's the conviction of this. The assurance and the conviction that what is not seen is just as real as what is seen. And this is what the author of Hebrews wants us to see in the examples that fill this passage, this chapter, and especially the five that are in our passage this morning. He wants us to see this in the examples of Abel and Enoch and Noah and Abraham and Sarah. These men and women lived by faith and they died in faith. A, they believed that God is who he says he is. B, they believed that God would do what he promised to do. C, they entrusted themselves to him. A, they believe that God is who he says he is. B, they believe that God would do what he promised to do. And C, they entrusted themselves to him. This is what faith in God is. Now let me ask you what I'm asking myself. <laughs> do you believe that God is who he says he is? Do you believe that? Do you believe that God is the creator, sustainer of this world and that he, verse 3, by the word of his power, formed the visible universe out of invisible material, heavenly material? Do you believe that? Do you believe that God is who he says he is? That's the first sign. It's the first sign of genuine saving faith. Hallelujah. Let's keep going. Do you believe that God has done and will do what he has repeatedly promised to do? Do you believe that he has redeemed sinners to himself and that he will preserve himself, he will preserve for himself a people from every nation and generation of the world through the substitutionary death and the vindicating resurrection of his son. Do you believe that God has done that and is in fact culminating the renewal of all things? Do you believe that? The Old Testament men and women that are showcased in this chapter, they didn't have the cross and the empty tomb to look back to like we do. They walked the earth long before Jesus came and died and was buried and was raised. Verse 13, they weren't around to receive these, the, these promises, the promised Messiah. And yet, these Old Testament women, by the old covenant that they were in and under, they had, they had types and shadows all over the place. Sacrificial offerings, days of atonement, Passover lambs. They had types and shadows that foreshadowed and pointed to with vivid clarity the coming one, the Messiah. Their faith was just as much in the Messiah, but it was in the future Messiah to come. And they believed that he, the Messiah, would come and save them. These men and women in this chapter, they believed that Messiah Jesus would come and say they didn't know the name Jesus, the cross and resurrection, the empty tomb hadn't happened, but they believed God's promises that he would do 
what he said he would do. And verse 2, they received God's approval for it. Think about that. Him who holds all things in the palm of his hand, majesty, glory, dominion, splendor forevermore, he approved of them because they simply believed that he is who he is, says he is, and that he will do what he says he will do, and they relied upon it. From Genesis to Revelation, God's people have always received his salvific approval by faith in the Messiah to come or the Messiah who has come. It's always and forever been faith in he who is Jesus Christ. Salvation by grace alone through faith alone wasn't invented at the Protestant Reformation. It's littered throughout scripture from Genesis to Revelation. So how about us? How about you? Do you believe? This is a yes or no question. Do you believe that God has done and will do what he promised to do? You and I have a much fuller picture than these men and women of the Old Testament had. We are not looking at types and shadows of the coming Savior. We're looking into the eyes of him who has come, who has lived, who has died, who has risen, who has ascended, and who is soon to return for all of those who are expecting him. Do you believe that God has done and do you believe that God will do what he has repeatedly promised to do? That he has nailed your every sin to the cross. That he has sealed you by his Holy Spirit for everlasting life with his son. That the glory you're about to see with your own two eyes at the return of Christ, the glory that you're about to see will wipe away your every tear and it will utterly eclipse the pains of this broken world that you and I are facing right now. Do you believe that God will not leave you nor will he forsake you in the midst of your troubles today? And you have troubles, so do I. Do you believe that God will not allow you? It's a promise in 1 Corinthians that he will not allow you to face more than you can handle. Do you believe that God is right now supernaturally working in ways you wouldn't even believe if you could see? Do you believe that, ha- uh, that God has done and will do what he promised to do and if that's you third step of faith how about you start entrusting yourself to him already and me too how about we start entrusting ourselves to him already this is faith And this is how you and I receive approval from God. 
from the eternal Holy One with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. He's so good. He's so powerful. He's so majestic and eternal and limitless, unbound. This is how we receive his approval. And this is how God receives pleasure from us. Verse 6, when, when we refuse to trust God, when we refuse to entrust ourselves to God, we're denying his trustworthiness. And, and, and that is displeasing to him. He is the plumb line of trustworthy. He, he is trustworthy. But when we trust him, today, right now, brother, sister, Whatever it is that you're facing, and I know because you're a human being like I am, you're facing stuff. But when you say to him, I don't understand this situation I'm in, Lord, but I am in your hands and my eyes are on you. When you say that, oh, it pleases him. I don't know maybe of anything more worshipful you could offer to him, but your nothing and your reliance upon him. When you say to him, I'm, 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 I'm really fearful. I mean, look at the economy. Look, look at the, the markets. Look at the, the banks. Look at the political turmoil. And look at what I'm facing at work. Look at all. I'm really fearful, Lord. <sighs> But I am in your hands, and my eyes are on you. When you say to him, what I'm going through right now is really difficult. <laughs> my spouse is, is, is quite literally walking out on me, or my job is literally disintegrating right in front of me. My, my children are, they're, they're wayward, they're wandering, they're following every whim of the world. This is all really difficult. But here's what I know. I'm in your hands. And my eyes are on you. I don't think there is any greater pleasure we could bring our God than to take that posture before the throne of grace. That right there is dependence. That right there is, I'm at the end of my rope. I'm at the bottom of the barrel. I've got nothing. And I recall arguably my favorite verse in all of the New Testament, Jesus' words at the outset of the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5, 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Those who have nothing. Because to them, to that woman, to that man, already belongs the kingdom of heaven. Come on. There is no greater pleasure that we could bring to our good God when we entrust ourselves to he who sees and hears and holds and rewards. This is what faith is, point number one. And now, here are some examples of what faith looks like or what it might look like. Point number two, what faith looks like. Verse four, Abel, the son of Adam and Eve, he offered to God a costly sacrifice. 
He offered to God the firstborn life from his flock of sheep. Abel understood that the wages of his sin is death and that God, who is rich in mercy, is worthy to be praised. Abel's brother Cain, he offered a sacrifice too, but it came from the abundance of his lifeless crops. His crops weren't alive in the way that a lamb, a sheep was. It was not a costly sacrifice. Cain's sacrifice was not costly. It did not reflect the understanding that the wages of sin is death. And it wasn't a sacrifice of praise. It was a sacrifice of compulsion. There is a difference. What Abel teaches us is that sometimes faith can be spelled G-E-N-E-R-O-S-I-T-Y. Generosity. A sacrifice of praise. So let me ask you, in light of Abel's example, what I'm asking myself. Do you give of your time, of your talents, of your possessions? Do you give of those things in a way that is costly to you? Do you feel it leaving? Does it hurt? Is it sacrificial? A sacrifice of praise is when in recognition of the worthiness of God, we embrace the loss of something for the good of someone else. The Pharisees, you know, as Jesus points out in the Gospels, they were, they were tithing out of, their, out of their spice rack. You know, they were tithing everything, but not in a sense that, I mean, they were observing the letter of the law, but nothing was hurting them. There was no sacrifice in it whatsoever. And therein lies the hidden secret of giving, whether it's money or time or talent, is this sacrificial? Is it costing me and is it benefiting someone else? Verse five, Enoch, the relatively obscure great, 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 great grandson of Adam, Enoch, all we're told about him is in Genesis 5, 18. He walked faithfully with God for 365 years, holy smokes, and he had sons and daughters and then he was no more because God took him. That's one of two people in all of Scripture that just, whew, I'm kind of hopeful that the Lord will do that with me, but I, I, I don't need to presume. Well, we're not told anything else about Enoch, but right here, actually, uh, Pastor Ed pointed this out this week. According to the writer of Hebrews, who is clearly writing this letter under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, According to the writer of Hebrews, nothing else is written about Enoch in all of Scripture until right here, and the writer of Hebrews tells us that Enoch was a pleaser of God simply because he was a truster of God. Oh, to please God in this way today, brothers and sisters, just to trust him, to entrust ourselves to him. What Enoch teaches us about faith is that sometimes faith is spelled T-R-U-S-T, trust. Verse seven, Noah was told by God to build this ginormous boat because a catastrophic flood was coming. 
The oddness about the whole thing is that Noah lived in the Mesopotamian desert and there really probably wasn't a cloud in the sky. Nevertheless, Noah took God at his word and he spent a hundred plus years, I think 120 as some scholars have pointed out and that's, I'm not going to go there. It's a hundred plus years. He spent a hundred plus years building an ark despite becoming the laughingstock of all his Mesopotamian peers. Think about that in our culture right now. And by faith, by faith, Noah, Noah received the saving commendation of God, but the same cannot be said of his peers because faith is the difference, hear this, faith is the difference between commendation and condemnation. What Noah teaches us, among other things, is that faith can often be spelled C-O-U-R-A-G-E. Courage to do and to stand upon what God has said despite all the Mesopotamian peers that we have that are mocking and jeering and jaunting because of our actions. This is faith. Verses 8 through 10. Abraham was living in the land of his fathers when God told him, pack it up. (laughs) Set out from your hometown. Leave behind family, friends, and all familiarity and jump into the great unknown. Exchange everything that you've ever known for the great unknown. That's what uh, God called Abraham to do. And Abraham did it. He went out. He went out not knowing where God was leading him because his eyes were set on God who himself would build a city with foundations whose cornerstone is the Messiah. What Abraham teaches us about faith is that faith can sometimes be spelled R-I-S-K. Risk. Wait a minute, what are you calling me to do? Wait a minute, what missionaries are you calling me to support with that much per month? Or where, where on earth are, you're, are you calling me? I am impressed in my heart, Lord. And brothers and sisters have brought some supernatural confirmation in that they've, they've, they've prayed this for me, that, that you're calling me to missions overseas? What? What? This is all I know. This is all what I know, what I love. This is where I'm comfortable. Well, faith is often spelled R-I-S-K, and and, and that is not to be twisted by anyone who has a more of a 21st century American mindset than a biblical mindset. It's not, I'm gonna take a risk on all these stocks and get super duper duper wealthy, right? Come on. Sometimes faith can be spelled R-I-S-K in taking that one next step in in the direction that God seems to be calling you. I actually want to fast forward here and read a... uh, A.W. Tozer is... uh, He's he's passed. He's a tremendous theologian. He said this quote, and I think that it applies here. 
God is looking for people through whom he can do the impossible. What a dang pity, I added dang, what, what a dang pity that you and I only do things that we can do in our own strength, with our own resources, with our own plans, with our own finances. What a dang pity that all we ever do are the things that we can handle rather than trusting God and taking that next step in building the mission house, traveling overseas, taking that next step and knocking on the cubicle next door and saying, brother, oh, this has been on my heart for so long. I feel so awkward. Oh my gosh, I'm a Christian. I need to tell you about Jesus and the salvation he has afforded at absolutely no cost to you. Faith can sometimes be spelled R-I-S-K. All too often we walk by sight and not by faith and that's not the way it's supposed to be. We get those two things mixed up. Verses 11 and 12. Sarah, Abraham's wife, she was barren all her life. She was 90 years old. Even in biblical years, that's old. She was 90 when God told her that she would conceive and bear a son. And I actually take a lot of solace from this because Abraham's first response and Sarah's first response, they both laughed. They didn't trust God. God had every right to just smite them and turn them into a pillar right there. He didn't because our God is long-suffering and patient. And he waited for them. He waited for them to chew on this declaration. I will give you Sarah. I will in you conceive and bear a son. You will conceive and bear a son. It took her a minute. took Abraham a minute. But guess what? They came around because he who promises is faithful. I so appreciate God's patience with them because that is so, I am so like Sarah. What? You want me to do what? <laughs> oh, you're serious. I mean, we felt that way about initially moving to this place called Worcester, the front door of Amish country. We felt that way. And now we're here and it's like, God, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your patience. As the late Pastor Tim Keller once put it, it's not the strength of yours and my faith that matters, it's the object of our faith. Sarah and, and Abraham, they had weak faith in that moment. It's not the strength of your faith in that moment, it's the object. Are you at least still facing God and saying, oh, I know that I'm 90 and my husband is as good as dead. I love how it says that. <laughs> But you are faithful, and I believe you. I believe you. In verses 13 through 16, I'm going to wrap this. It concludes our passage. In these verses, the writer of Hebrews emphasizes how each of these Old Testament figures, they upheld the definition of verse 1. They were assured of things that they hoped for. They were convicted about things that they don't see, didn't see. They could have been fixed on what is temporal and they could have returned to what they knew and they could have returned to relying on their own strength and going back to their familiar territory, but they desired things that only God can bring about and he, because of it, was not ashamed to be called their God. Oh, that God would not be ashamed to be called my God. And your God, and indeed, by faith, he is not. 
And it's not the strength of your faith. If a mustard seed counts, it's the object. It's the, I believe you are who you say you are. I believe that you will do what you've said you will do. And I will entrust myself to you already. I'll entrust myself to you. So what are you and I to make of this in closing? We'll spend another hour here. Faith is a peculiar thing. Yeah? The fact is, is that every living human being, everyone everywhere, no matter their race, creed, age, or orientation, everyone has faith. Everyone has faith. The question is, in whom or in what do we place our faith? For the natural, earthly, fleshly man or woman... They place their faith, they place their deepest trust and confidence in science, technology, medicine, organic foods, government, a certain political figure, physical fitness, military, money. The natural, earthly, fleshly man or woman places their deepest trust and confidence in things and countless other functional saviors that can be seen. And yet, some place their deepest trust and confidence in the creator God who has redeemed and is restoring this broken world to himself through the finished work of Christ on the cross to the everlasting glory of his name. Placing our faith in God is something that Scripture commands of everyone. But because of the depth of our sinfulness, faith isn't something that is easy to manufacture. I would argue we cannot actually manufacture. We're responsible. Choose this day whom you will serve. And yet, mysteriously and mercifully, faith is something that must be granted to us. And this is precisely what the Apostle Paul communicates in Romans 12, 13 when he says that everyone must not think of their self more highly than they ought. They must think with sober judgment and each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned to them. So maybe yours and my deepest need today, right here, this morning, is to pray the prayer of that father the father of the, the demon-possessed boy in Mark chapter 9. It's one of my favorite prayers. I believe, but help my unbelief. I believe, but man, it feels like there is a Mount Everest of unbelief in my heart, and I'm just asking you to help that. With open hands, help that, please. I believe you, Help my unbelief. I believe there are so many things that are tempting me not to believe, but help my unbelief. There are so many pressures that are influencing me in today's culture and in today's workplace. So many things pressuring me to not believe, but help my unbelief. So many things that are pushing me toward disbelief, but help my unbelief. This is what faith looks like, and this kind of faith pleases God. Let's pray. Father, 
Thank you for your word. Once again, the act of quieting our hearts and minds right now, the act of drawing near to you is in fact a demonstration of faith. For whoever would draw near to you must believe that you exist and that you reward, that you're powerful enough, that you're good enough to reward those who seek you, who draw near to you. Oh, please do it. For your glory, give us heightened understanding of ourselves and this word and ourselves in light of this word. Give us conviction, strength, and conformity, encouragement. Raise us up to the likeness of Christ, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.